0: Ever since the fall when I was doing a series about we begin where we are, uh, what the path looks like, I've been wondering if we might look at the episodes in Jesus' life, not all of them, obviously, because that would be a, a number of years' worth of sermons, and we'll look at Jesus' episodes in his life at various kinds, but I've tried to put together over the last several weeks, two weeks ago, we saw Jesus as His identity being confirmed in his baptism, you are the beloved, with you I'm well pleased. Uh, So we got confirmation of identity. Last week we got a sense of clarity because Jesus went into the wilderness and in his time in the wilderness it became clear who he was. He was not going to be like John the baptizer and live out in the wilderness and eat locusts and wild honey. He was going to be who he was supposed to be and that time of clarity gave that to him. This week we look at something a little different. We're moving from the Gospel of Mark to the Gospel of John, and we're taking a look at the wedding at Cana of Galilee. Now, how I got into this whole series, you sometimes wonder uh, where these things come from, I'm told, and uh, back in December I did a wedding And the couple, I said, do you have a scripture lesson you'd like for me to use? And they suggested the wedding at Cana of Galilee. And so ever since then, so Sean and Barry, you set me on this track. Uh, Ever since then, I have just delighted in this powerful story from the second chapter of the Gospel of John. So let me just share it with you. And then we'll talk a little bit about what this might teach us a little bit about Jesus, but also what it says about us, uh, about who we're meant to be. So chapter two of the Gospel of John. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine, and Jesus said to her, And they filled them to the brim. He said to them, now draw out some and take it to the chief steward. So they took it. When the steward tasted the water that had become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the the steward called the bridegroom and said to him, everyone serves the good wine first and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk but you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus said this, did this actually, uh, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee and revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This is the gospel of the Lord for this morning. Praise be to God. So, Little interesting tidbit, Linda has already got the sign that I said to her this morning. I said, there's just so much to know about this little story. It's just delightful. I have a lot I could say about it. And and I said, but don't let me get lost in the weeds of all the little details. But it's very interesting, in the Gospel of John, Jesus' mother is only referred to as the mother of Jesus. She is not referred to by her name. The Gospel of John, just a little tidbit of information, if you need a little cocktail conversation, not that you're going to any cocktail parties anytime soon, but if you do, you've got some now. Gospel of John, Mary is always referred to as the mother of Jesus, just as the mother of Jesus without her name. So we've got a wedding, a wedding with a big celebration and a party afterwards, and people are all gathered, And they're having a banquet, and they're drinking wine with their meals, and the wine gives out. We're told that Mary is there, Jesus is there, and Jesus' disciples are there, and we don't know who this person is that's getting married, actually, and it doesn't really matter. They just were all invited. We're assuming they're probably some kind of relation to all of them, sense of connection. So Mary turns to Jesus, the mother of Jesus turns to Jesus and says to him, hey, they've run out of wine. And then Jesus says, what is it to you or me? Now I've read a number of, you know, it sounds disrespectful or sarcastic or any number of things, but it might have just been a common Semitic phrase to say, "It's, it's not our business. It's, it's, you know, this isn't, this isn't our business. But to make it a little clearer, Jesus even goes further to say, it's not my time. This is not my hour. And it's very interesting that if that was the final word, that should have been the end of the story. We might not have heard about it. And that was the end. Uh, But it's not the end of the story. It's not my hour. Now, why throw that little phrase in there if Jesus is going to go right ahead and turn the water into wine anyway? Why throw that in there? And it's, what is this to you or me? Woman, it's not my hour. And he refers to his mother in that way, perhaps to remind her and to remind the listener. Because remember, these stories are written down for us to hear to remind them that it's God's timing that matters, not our timing. It's not my hour means we have to pay attention to wonder what God's timing is. Now, as it turns out, this may very well be God's timing, but you can't rush God's timing, apparently. However, perhaps the mother of Jesus, sensing that something exciting could happen, said to the servants, do whatever he says. That seems like a throwaway line, a little line there, doesn't it? Do whatever he says. Do whatever he says. You know, setting everything up for the rest of the time. I'm convinced this might even be a, a key piece of this story. Do whatever he says. Because if you're waiting for God's time, that doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to start reading the Bible uh, when God shows up or I'm gonna start praying when God shows up, or I'm going to do this thing whenever the time comes. You've gotta lay the groundwork. You've got to lay the foundation in the beginning. So Mary, sorry, the mother of Jesus, says to the servants, do what he says. And we're meant to overhear that. Do what Jesus says. Throughout the rest of the gospel, that needs to shape how we look at the gospel of John. Do what he says. Do what he says. So it goes on from there. So even after Jesus says, it's not my hour, Mary has now said, the mother of Jesus has now said, do what he says. Jesus sees that they have six Pitchers for the water of purification. They're made of stone, not of earthenware. This is very important. This is an important detail, too, but we don't need to get into that. Uh, so, if you're going to use pitchers for purification, made of stone, good. Earthenware, not so good. So, uh, these pitchers hold 20 to 30 gallons of water, and there are six of them. Six of them at this party. Jesus says to the servants, fill these things with water to the brim. So there's no question in your mind that they poured a little bit of water in the bottle in each one. And then Jesus turns that into wine. There is somewhere between 120, mathing, not part of my job, but I will do it today. Somewhere between 120 and 180 gallons of water in the jugs. Jesus doesn't wave his hands. He doesn't say abracadabra. doesn't do anything. He turns to the steward Well, he turns to the servants. He says to the servants draw out a measure of it and take it to the, uh, to the steward, the person who's in charge of the whole uh, wedding party event, kind of uh, the manager of uh, You can think of him as the manager of the party. So they take a measure of this water Turned into wine to the guy who drinks it and says, Oh my gosh, these guys have broken completely with tradition. So he calls over the you know the bridegroom and he says, Dude, you saved the best wine for last. Everybody else waits till everybody's drunk because then nobody knows how good or bad the wine is because they don't care. That's just another glass of wine. You've saved the best for last. This is This is unbelievable. This stuff is really good. And the steward, you know, has that common explanation and Jesus' disciples look at him and believe. So what are we to make of a story? Why is this Jesus' first sign? Here's a couple of things that I think are important for you to notice. First of all, 120 to 180 gallons of wine is a lot of wine. It's a lot. It's more than most of us can drink at dinner tonight. Uh, unless we're with a party of a, you know, a couple of hundred people, then maybe we'd be okay. It's a lot of wine. It's an abundance. And I think Jesus is making a statement This story is meant to tell us that God is a God of superabundance. God doesn't make a small bottle of wine. God is all about superabundance. There's a lot, there's enough to go around. So much so, it's it's like the stories of the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus feeds all those people and there's 12 baskets left over. Because God is about Lavish giving. And it's not just lavish giving about stuff. It's lavish giving of whatever God gives us. It's almost a wasteful giving. What are you going to do with 120 to 180 gallons of wine at the tail end of a a wedding party? You can extend the wedding party, I suppose, until everybody can drink all of the wine. You can send some home with everybody, I suppose, if they brought their own containers. What are you going to do with all the extra wine when you're drawing to the end of the party? It's, always been, it's already been clear by the steward. We're getting near the end of the party. And they save for the last, the worst wine. And you've saved the best. You've saved the best for last. So we've got the abundance of God. We've got the power of transformation. And this is probably the most important thing. You and I look at those stone pitchers, and we see first empty ones, and then pitchers filled with water. Jesus sees the potential for wine. Now, in our world, most of us, most of the time, when we don't get caught up in our own egos, see ourselves as, you know, relatively you know, pretty bland, everyday kind of people, kind of just a glass of water. When Jesus looks at you, Jesus sees a fine wine. Jesus sees what you can be. Jesus sees all the potential within you. And Jesus loves you, whether you're water or wine. There's no question about that. But Jesus sees that in you and that it's the power of God to transform us, to make us new, to make our lives which seem ordinary, extraordinary even to us. And it doesn't mean that suddenly we become the star of the universe. It means that we begin to realize that the everyday things that we're doing, being lawyers, being teachers, being uh, audio engineers, Running nonprofits, being pastors, being retired, all of the everyday things matter. This moment, this moment is extraordinary. Why? Because God's here. God's in this moment, and there's always something happening. Now, I've seen people transformed, I've seen myself transformed. I've seen myself over a lifetime begin to have different sets of values grow on me. Not simply because I chose those values, but because God changed me from the inside out so that I began to value each moment for what it is. I'm not always good at it. I'm still learning. You know, I've only been around for 58 years, you know, perhaps When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, I might have come to a point where every moment I, I just like slurp it in. You know, carpe diem, seize the day, suck the marrow out of life. All those kinds of things. I haven't quite gotten to that point yet. But Jesus does. Jesus turns what might have been the end of a party into the beginning of another one through the power of transformation. And that same transformation is possible for every one of us from the inside out. God wants, God dreams, God imagines all that we already are, but cannot see in ourselves. And through a process that is beyond our understanding, Though we'd like to have some conventional, we're like the steward, we'd like a really conventional explanation for how things turned out. Hey, you saved the best wine for last. Nope. (laughs) Saved a bunch of pitchers of water for last and Jesus made it wine. Jesus makes the best out of anything. This is a powerful story about our God who loves a good celebration who loves to celebrate. What are weddings celebrations of? Well, you can argue with me in the first century that it may have just been the uniting of two families. It may not be a celebration of love in the way that we envision it now 20 centuries later. But the truth is it's a celebration of relationality, of connection, of love, of hope. It's a celebration and God wants the celebration to go on. And God is extravagant in the way God makes it happen. This thing we do on Sunday mornings is supposed to be just a taste, a taste of the celebration of how good it is, how much God loves us, how much God wants us, how much God wants us to want each other, and to want God back. How much God would just love for us to love, because that's who God is. That's who God is. God is the abundance in our lives if we just look. God is the celebration and the transformation that is possible for each and every one of us. If we simply trust ourselves to God and lay the groundwork, do what he says. Love your neighbor as yourself, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength in the Gospel of John puts it in kind of another way altogether. This commandment I leave with you, that you love one another. This new commandment, that you love one another. What power there is in that? What world-changing power is that? Not at the tip of a bayonet or a spear or any weapon. Love could change the world. And it's not some kind of utopian idealistic value. It's a godly value. And it's not about power over. It's about power to love. It's power to sacrifice, to be vulnerable, to take risks. God does that for us. And in this first sign from the Gospel of John We see rolled up in one. It's not always our timing. Not the way we expected it. Certainly didn't see it coming. Just showed up for an everyday celebration of a wedding. And suddenly there was wine where there was water before. And life was changed abundantly. Abundantly. So, are you feeling today like you're just another urn of water? (laughs) You know, it's just normal, everyday, run-of-the-mill. The God who loves you transforms you from the inside out so that you might see and believe in this moment who God is and who God sees you to be because God sees you as fine wine, fine wine, meant to be shared, meant to be celebrated, infinitely precious, unconditionally loved. That's who you are. Let no one say differently.